2: Okay, a little hypothetical for you. You're at the bank going to the ATM, and you go to pull out $40, but an extra $20 comes out. Do you go inside and return the $20, or do you walk away with it? Why? What if it was an extra $100 or $1,000? Does that change what you would do? Why? Uh, No. $20, $100, $1,000, I do not care. As long as I'm stealing from a faceless entity that is corporate banking, I'll take anything.
3: I walk away.
4: 1,000%. I would not go back to the bank.
3: The bank's giving away money. Look, bank error in your favor. Monopoly made a whole card over it, okay? I think that the banking industry is a huge accumulation of wealth and unnecessary hoarding of resources. $100
2: I would give back, I guess. Only because I think I would get,
4: uh, busted for it. What a dumb fucking... First of all,
5: is there a difference between taking $20 and a $1,000? Uh, I don't know, is there a difference between a misdemeanor and a felony? Didn't you go to law school? And you're trying to put us in the mindset of a fraudster when the scenario involves banks. Banks! The entities that caused the 2008 crash and barely got a slap on the wrist. Ask something real next time, you dumb fuck. Greed yeah. is good.
2: Welcome back to Fraudsters. I'm Cena Gadsdivey. E. Justin Williams is here with us as always. Uh, Justin, that was uh, you know a little prompt, a little crowdsource prompt that we did there. I think we should. Um, I think I should probably rethink how I phrase these questions. What'd you think of that? You've got to stop asking
5: mechanics that live on Staten Island their opinion about this. Why are
2: you asking about this, you
5: dumb fuck?
2: (laughs) And then it was like all, it was like that mechanic, and then like all socialists. And it was all people, that wanted to burn the banks down. Yeah, the mechanic
5: was actually like pretty like woke though,
2: like in a way. (laughs) (laughs) It's so funny. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that that brings up a good point. You know, I didn't really think about the bank thing when, when I posed the question. I just read that as a hypothetical. Actually, I think that um, Dr. Fraud had given us, and we'll talk to him in a little bit here. Uh, but I guess, like, yeah, it's tough to make a decision between, like, a moral judgment between you and the bank. But I was kind of thinking of it as you versus yourself. Like, what do you want to do in that situation? How do you tell the story Of that to yourself.
5: Well, that's even also it's it's what it is too, right? When people start talking about larger structures, number one, that conceals that not every bank is like uh, Wells Fargo, right? It's like, what if it's your like local credit union ATM or something like that? It's like I'm pretty sure like Farmers Credit Union isn't responsible for the 2008 implosion. <laughs> of the economy, right? But that's
2: a that's a really good point. Yeah,
5: yeah. And then, uh, but so, and then it's also the difference between a reason and a justification, right? It's like this is what how what so much fraud is actually based on the idea that the entire system is criminal. So, what is my criminal act contributing to this? It's it's the same defense that Wesley Snipes gives in new jack city right he's like the whole system is corrupt i'm just i'm just this hey look i'm just your friendly neighborhood crack dealer
2: it's interesting you say wesley Sykes, because i thought you were gonna go the whole sovereign citizen wesley snipes route but you're actually going fictional character new jack city wesley snipes which really blurs the line between art and life <laughs> yeah
5: absolutely i think everybody's the same thing every oh well it's all criminal why or there's always a bigger criminal than me
2: why are you looking at me all i did was take this money and then that's like the miss cleo situation too i'm sure she you probably had an inkling that something wasn't right about this, but come on, what's the big deal? She's just a spokesperson. She's doing a character. She's just this person that is entertaining people. Who cares if there's a little bit of this, a little bit of that? It's all about that. Like, how do you kind of uh, reconcile that in your head? So, I think I kind of want to like get a little bit more into just like the ideas of fraud. So we're going to talk to Dr. Fraud, Dr. Michael Skiba. He actually did trademark the name. He's a 22-year veteran of working organized crime with a variety of companies. And for that same amount of time, he's been studying fraud. And that's how he got his PhD. He's also got a book called Psychology of Fraud, Integrating Criminological Theory into Counter-Fraud Efforts. So we wanted to know, where does fraud come from? What made hundreds of thousands of people so easily susceptible to the type of fraud we saw with the PRN. Are just certain people liars? You know, I saw an interesting research study
4: done which stated that 40% of people, well, let me start, 30% are dishonest. Okay. 30 are honest. Okay. And 40 are situationally honest. I think that's me. Okay. <laughs> forty percent
2: well situationally so, if I'm trying to like get out of a dinner that I don't want to go to that that's a situation right Justin it depends that's a situation That's that's the definition of situationally dishonest I mean how guilty am I
5: <laughs> if I, I find if I'm super guilty uh the best thing is to triple down on it Tri- you wouldn't mean triple down on the lie I don't care what you saw <laughs>
2: I don't care what you think you just saw. But, yeah, okay, so that's 30. So, so 30%, so a third almost are just dishonest, or just shitty people. Right. And is that, that doesn't necessarily mean you're, wow, that's tough, that's tough. Yeah. That's really difficult. I, I tend, when I make a mistake... I like to be very honest about it because it actually makes me feel better to just exp like get it yeah. out of my body right. and do that. But like, listen, if you're out there and we've made dinner plans, there's a good chance that I'm getting <laughs> out of it with some bullshit because I want to stay at home and drink <laughs> yeah. wine by myself in the dark. But, <laughs> but but so so yes, there's a range like everything else, right? So
4: there's so the the issue with this type of crime is you know based on those stats, you got you have seventy percent. Of the population that has a propensity to commit this type of act you know whether it's contrived you know so, so and you have different levels of it too not, you know you have your big scale your elizabeth holmes and and your madoffs and things like that uh, those are different types of people than than you're you know just someone that has something legitimate and pads it or it escalates but at the end of the day you still have 70 percent of the population that has that degree you know compared to other types of crime assault property i mean you're talking like two percent have a propensity to do that or even less so i mean already the statistics are stacked against you you know in this type of crime
2: and those those crimes they have victims and at times you have frauds where and we'll do an episode on jim baker one of the things yeah. i found out about him and even here with miss cleo people were just totally okay with handing over their money even though it's a fraud 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 You know, Justin, what's funny to me here is that in America, we will pearl clutch over drug possession or some sort of mild uh, looting that happens here and there. But outright deception that pillages and loots entire classes of our economy and communities. No, that's fine. We just kind of it's the cost of doing business. That is the price of the free market.
5: Yeah, I mean, it's so funny when people, especially when they talk about like policing or what they consider a dangerous neighborhood, right? It's like, oh, someone was mugged for their purse. That's the worst thing I've ever seen, right? But then they'll watch like Wolf of Wall Street where people are just like depleting entire and dire communities of their life savings. And it's like, this is awesome. This is amazing. All the pensions of the janitors Union are gone. Fuck yeah they had boats. That's what I say I've started robbing people but I just wear a suit while wow, I do it. I do it with forms now and now I'll never go to jail.
2: Absolutely. More crime should be happening with suits. Oh wait, it already is.
4: I've actually sat across from CEOs of companies that that tell me that they don't have any, you know, fraud fighting departments etc. They they pad it as a business expense. So they basically take it and and just, you know, write it off. You know, they accept it, accept the risk and they and they write it off and I mean, a lot of it comes down to as well, like, you know, we see on the back end of it, well, you know, what happens to these cases in the end? And, you know, you do have some good results, but, you know, a lot of them, they're not prosecuted. They don't get interest really from law enforcement. And and a lot of it just, there's a lot of different reasons why, you know, I mean, jurisdictional reasons, right? I remember I had a case, you know, origins, uh, The person was defrauded. They lived in New York. Uh, The the company headquarters was in in uh, Texas. Uh, The person that originally the call was in Jamaica. I mean, there's I mean, you call a local police department, you won't even get, you know, two minutes in and, you know, they're they don't even know where to start with it. So that 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 a a lot of inherent things with fraud itself makes it really difficult to investigate and prosecute.
2: Maybe because of that, maybe it's a chicken or the egg. It's like, it's difficult to prosecute, so we don't care. Or is it like, we don't care, so it ends up being difficult to prosecute? Because I feel like if we gave a shit, we, we would we would prosecute it. We would go after people that are criminally dishonest. We may have a different president if we went after frauds a little bit more aggressively. Not that I want to make this political, but we can't help it. Welcome to Television's Unchallenged Authority on Wealth, Prestige and Manipulation. It's another vomit-inducing edition of Lifestyles of the Rich and Fraudulent. On this dazzling episode, we will follow two Fort Lickerdale residents who have the crown jewel of Harbour Beach, while they made their million-selling fortunes to the vulnerable They could never have foretold living in a 40,000 square foot castle by the beach. With a chef's kitchen, a butler's pantry, a glass elevator, cheer up Charlie, and a whopping 450 feet of deep water, this $19 million home is fit for a royal wedding or the king and king of hotline psychics. Uh... (laughs) Yeah, so, you know, we'll get into, like, who those guys are, and that's what we're going to dive into. And up until now, Justin, we've talked about Miss Cleo, who was a fraud, but she was also a patsy. And I, I should, I think it's important to say that if she wasn't a fraud, that she could be the best method actor of all time by using the same character for 20 years.
5: She's like Daniel Day-Lewis, except for only doing uh, Bill the Butcher. Exactly.
2: <laughs> just build. If the, he did that twenty four, if he was a shoe cobbler like he is in Italy, just doing build a butcher. Yeah, it's that, like uh, <laughs> Daniel Day Lewis as
5: Lincoln. It's like, uh, I'm Abraham Lincoln. This is a wound. This
2: is a kill. Uh, sir, what would you like the name to be on your on your latte? <laughs> <laughs> Everyone remembers uh, Lincoln's greatest speech. This
5: is a night for Americans. <laughs>
2: Well, you know, Cleo, though, you remember, I think we even talked about this, but she was on the stand getting questioned or or doing a deposition, rather. And she took the Fifth Amendment when they asked her her birthplace. She didn't want to reveal that she was born in America, which I call a reverse birtherism. All the same. It's very strange. But, you know, I think some people, and I've heard this online, they think that we've been hard on Miss Cleo. What do you think? I think they're
5: absolutely right. Uh, Listen. She's just the front for an elaborate criminal scam that gave people false hopes and gouged them for exorbitant amounts of money she's just that but you, but listen we're gonna we're gonna talk about the deeper scam she's not she's not the top of this pyramid
2: exactly we're not blaming the scam on her what we're saying is having learned how this scam actually works that she was a patsy of sorts now what happens with the patsy the patsy gets brought into the scam by their own greed right she was this person that wanted to be famous that wanted to make sure that she was you know taken care of or got a lot of money whatever whatever it was you know i can't speak to her motivations but i do know that, that it was. Was a fake Jamaican accent that she put on this character, that she dolled it up as much as she possibly could. But those guys at the top, and there are three of them, three white guys, who would have thought that were at the top of this pyramid, and Fetter, his cousin Peter Stoltz, and Steve's life partner, Lou Thomas Trusclair I don't know if I'm Trus, Trusclair What is that? Do you think that's like a French name? Trusclair I think he's from Jersey. Jersey probably. Yeah, I think so. I think you're right about that. But it was really tough to like find info on these guys because a lo- a good fraudster knows how to cover their tracks. And what better way to cover your tracks than by creating a cultural icon? who's going to pay attention to you. Listen, even in this show I have not even said their names. They're just like the three guys that ran Psychic Readers Network. It's not even fun to say their names mainly because I can't even say this guy's name Trust Claire. I don't even whatever. But what we what we do know though about these guys is when you buy property or when there's a lien against you or you know or you do anything that's in the public record like, you know, give an interview that shows up and we can try to analyze that and think about who these people are from those little nuggets in the public record. Obviously, we didn't get to interview them. I actually tried to call them. Uh, Our producer Hazel tried to call them. They didn't call back. Although one day I did get a call from a man in his easily in his seventies, which is the age these guys are. And he was just like, who are you? Did you call me? And it was like the Florida number that I had called. And I was like, is this Stephen Feder? He goes, no. I was like, oh, it must be Mr. Peter Stoltz. I'm so sorry. Uh, he goes, no. What do you want? Who are you? And I was like, oh, I'm I'm w- with the podcast. We're doing an interview on psychics. And he's like, I don't know anything about about that. Who who is who are you looking for again? And it was very obvious that it was at least one of the two guys. <laughs> it's. Uh, So I'll say this, though, if they're listening, if they're able to get some sort of, you know, podcast listening device, Stevie, Petey, Louie, come on over. We'd love to talk with you. I just want to hear from you how you ran this amazing billion dollar scam.
5: Yeah, stop hanging out with Roger Stone at his swinger parties and like sitting at a 14 karat gold table and and (laughs) give us a call back so we could talk.
2: So let's start with Stephen Fetter, Justin. You know, And I. And one of the things that we were able to find out was his businesses started back in 88. And Justin, right now, we're going to go all the way down south, just outside of Charlotte, North Carolina, where the moves are shaking and the shakers are moving. But if I do my voice like this, it makes me feel very saucy and naughty. You see, Stephen Fetter and his business and life partner, Bob Rabino came to the sweet town of Waxhaw, about an hour south of Charlotte, and with a population of less than 2,000 people. All right, so it's the late 80s, it's a small town, Reagan's in office, and half the country is funded by cocaine. Let's just say these two idiots had a compelling audience. Feder and Rubino wanted to build a pizza chain that would rival Domino's. There's your first red flag right there, folks. Overpromising out of nowhere. Shoot for the moon, and if you reach the stars, it's still great. Or in the case of Feder and Rubino, they reach for bankruptcy. They were going to build 50 restaurants called Rubino's Pizza and Subs. No offense to the good people of Waxa, but did anyone really think that they were going to be the next pizza mecca of the world? Like, well, I'm sure many of them thought, okay, this is not possible. But I'm sure a lot of them were like, this is so exciting. We're going to be the next pizza mecca of the world. So like any good con, you base it on a little bit of reality. So they each had to buy a home. Big fucking homes. Fetter bought a 5,000-square-foot home in Arrow Plantation, which has its own private airstrip, which I can't imagine why someone trying to portray himself as a wealthy investor would want a private airstrip. Hmm. Rubino moved to a house just over the border on Lake Wiley. Now, this wasn't just any old house. Justin, do you know whose house this was? Whose home was that? None other than televangelists Jim and Tammy Faye Bakers home. This fucking mansion had an air-conditioned doghouse. <laughs> now we'll get into more on Jim Baker in a later episode, but know this: he was imprisoned for fraud, and this guy bought his home. It's like there's a Zillow for fraudsters or something.
5: Yeah, it's like it's like how a guy like uh, Fifty Cent buys like MC Hammer's house, and then they all have to like sell it. Uh, when they go bankrupt (laughs) hey are you a piece of shit well uh this is the piece of shit real estate network where we make sure that only pieces of shit uh live in these places
2: yes and at least two shithead fraudsters need to refer you to get a membership into the site (laughs) so so both these guys have fancy houses and they even got a contractor come and renovate both homes and they spared no expense The, the contractor said they never asked about price Again, let's signal to the local community, not just the people, but the banks and other businesses that are there, that you're there to make some moves. Rubino even had one of those Excalibur cars. Just, do you know what an Excalibur car is? No. What is the hell is that Excalibur car? Yeah, it's like uh, they were actually like cosplaying Howard Hughes or something. Like one of those long cars with the, like the tire on the side. Kind of like something out of Great Gatsby. The bad movie, not the book.
5: Oh, this, this guy was driving a,
2: a wind-up car?
5: Exactly. It's old. That's like, that's so performative, like
2: performative upper class stuff. Yeah, exactly right. And in the town of less than 2088, only rich people are driving those cars. It's actually like, uh, only other person that owns that car
5: is Jay Leno.
2: <laughs> so so they moved to the area in like May of 88 and they proceed to have like a Van Wilder on crystal meth life. Police responded to at least seven complaints of roughhousing and stolen vehicles and domestic disputes at Rubino's Lake Wiley house. Imagine dude, in this suburb of Charlotte, they used to have the most popular televangelist ever. This guy had a satellite network and then he goes off to prison and in the 1980s version of the Jersey fucking shore comes in. These guys went nuts. But get this, in January of 89, one of Rubino's house
0: guests and also the night manager Start planning today at aarp.org moneytools money tools.
1: Emmy award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific time, only on Netflix.
6: If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is,
0: I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there.
6: Because...
1: If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak.
6: Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel.
3: Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.
2: Dies falling down the steps. This all happens at 1130 in the morning, and police... Couldn't find a reason for it.
5: I mean, in fairness, uh, this is a big house. So when he fell down the stairs, he fell for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> he broke his neck seven times on the 400 stairs.
2: I think it was at some clubhouse. But yeah, I mean, Federer is getting sued now. And no surprise there, a $12,000 check that he had bounced to his real estate agent. He left $13,000 unpaid to the contractor, whom he never asked the price for anything for. And then he even had a separate $27,500 loan that was getting foreclosed upon. Here's a good lesson for the kids. If you're going to steal, steal big. Don't just take a piece of candy. Take the whole candy store. Fuck it. Take the whole mall. Because if you get caught or in trouble, you could just settle out of court. Because this is America, and that's just business. And when you settle out of court, that means the record is sealed. And that's what happened here. Feder settles out of court, and we don't know anything. I guess that's just the model. Go big, don't pay, and then settle?
5: Yeah, I mean, twenty-seven grand in, like, 1980 is just like a four-bedroom house in a nice suburb.
2: You know, you bring up a good point, Justin. On a serious note, a quarter of Americans, adult Americans today, are $400 away from financial hardship. These guys are running up bills that could bankrupt communities in the 80s. And, you know, it's just amazing the amount of privilege this guy has, has, right? Because he could just file for bankruptcy. And that's what Rubino did here. Now, we've all heard of bankruptcy in the news, chapter 11, chapter 13. There's all kinds of different types of bankruptcy, right? But I want to break down a little bit of it here because we're going to be talking about it in the show quite a bit. Bankruptcy is when people can't pay their debts, right? So a court comes in and sells their assets or reorganizes the company so they can pay off those debts and then you get a fresh start. It's like an enema for your bank account or like Control-Alt-Delete for your finances. Or if you're a rich person, it's like plugging in the game Genie and setting it to unlimited lives. So here's the thing to remember. There's a bankruptcy where a person goes bankrupt and there's a bankruptcy where a company goes bankrupt. So in Rubino's case, he didn't file for personal bankruptcy. He's not giving up his sweet wind-up car. When he files for bankruptcy, it's about the assets in the company. Remember what I said, kids. Steal them all because you'll be able to keep a lot of the candy. So Rubino's Pizza, Inc. had $13,000 in assets, a Jeep, 1000 in the bank, and $200 in cash. But his debts were over $100,000. By the way, eighty-eight. I mean, come on. So
5: you run up all this debt and then you're like, well, I got some pizza boxes for you.
2: (laughs) Yes. The best.
5: Got some Rubino's pizza boxes. That's what (laughs) we've got in assets.
2: We've got the best pizza boxes in America. These are top quality pizza boxes. You're absolutely going to love. You can even eat out of these pizza boxes. So, oh, by the way, um, uh, $100,000 in 1988 is actually $220,000 in today's money. So a little context for you, right? But the plan to pay everyone back is at the core of bankruptcy. So when they look at the assets, they realize there's no fucking way. His own lawyer has to take back the bankruptcy filing because there's no plan, no possible plan to pay it back. You're actually so broke that you can't even owe. (laughs) Exactly. But wait, what about the pizza chain? Making Waxhaw the new mecca of pizza that would one day dethrone Domino's. The 50 restaurants? Of the 50, they tried to start in February of 88. One year later, they had two shops and a wholesaler, and all three were being sued for back rent.
5: Do you you know how bad you have to be at business to not be able to pay a commercial rent in North Carolina in (laughs) 1980? (laughs) Yeah,
2: pretty bad. Pretty bad. Just couldn't get that $14 a month in revenue. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, how hard is it to sell pizza? Pizza's like a, a, an inelastic product, which means there's like demand for it no matter what. I mean, it's 1988. Cocaine is an inelastic product. How do you fuck this up? I mean, these guys are probably seeing the writing on the wall, and they both have to leave town. Feder rents his house out and leaves town. Rubino puts the Baker Mansion on sale for nearly double what he bought it for and leaves town. And by the way, they don't only really leave town. No one can find them. They're still getting sued, still owe money, still not paying anyone back. And remember the mall example, kids. You can take it, profit from it, and then just leave town. And no one will come find you. It's totally fine. That's just business. Here's the cherry on top, though. On March 9th, 1990, the infamous Baker Mansion burns down. <laughs> of course, no one can find Feder and Rubino. And police can't find a reason for the fire. Rubino's lawyer, when they asked about the fire, said, The fire has nothing to do, in our view, with Mr. Rubino's business affairs. Yeah, sure. And Hydrogen had nothing to do with the Hindenburg. Lucifer has nothing to do with hell. And Bowser has nothing to do with the random disappearances of Princess Peach.
5: Well, in fairness, uh, Goodfellas hadn't come out yet, so they hadn't seen the scene where it was, Fuck (laughs) you, pay me. (laughs) Fuck you, pay me.
2: And when you can't pay them, what do you do? (laughs) You light a match. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that is a perfect summation of what happened. And by the mid nineteen nineties, all that's left after this couple came in, bought houses, promised the world, didn't pay their debts, is one wholesale pizza shop, some portable pizza ovens, and a lonely set of golf clubs by the front door. That was from some reporting from Charlotte that I read. Come in, like any parasite, you come into the host,
5: you yep. extract all the resources, yep, and then you leave, man.
2: Yeah, and and you know the trail dries up a little bit on Rubino, but he does have a company still. Rubino's Pizza Inc. still exists in North Carolina. They do have sales. More than that, we haven't been able to find out. We're actually trying to reach out to them, so maybe we'll do uh, a a catch-up on what happened with Bobby Rubino. But after North Carolina, though, Federer goes to Florida where he starts a bunch of new businesses. One was called the Professional Advisors Network. This is what we think is Federer and Stoltz's first collaboration as co-owners. What was the model? Super simple, Call into a hotline to talk to an advisor. Need help trying to figure out whether you should use Helvetica or Times New Roman on your resume? Call the Professional Advisors Network. Uh, Yeah, uh, I think you should not put
5: that you're a Capricorn in the headline of your resume.
2: (laughs) (laughs) By 98, Federer had 15 other businesses registered to him, including Weight Partnership, a telemarketing weight loss service. (laughs) And, and you it, need to it, exercise it, that will be twenty nine yeah. fifty. hello weight partnership yes i'm having trouble losing weight shut up you're fat bye <laughs> click he's he always renamed his businesses so it was actually tough for our research people to even figure out what businesses were what because there's like no trail and then you rename them constantly it's tough to figure things out but what we do know is that He got linked up with his current life partner, Lou Thomas Traskler, because he actually has five businesses in his name, which are also co-owned by Fedder. Think about this, guys. There's just an intricate web of corporate structures that people can use to hide whatever crazy shit they're doing. But I'll give you a hint on what happened to these two. They did just fine. Okay, Justin, I want to switch gears a little bit and just talk about Peter Stolls. Now... We don't have a cool burning house pizza chain story here, but what we do have is an interview he did with Skeptic Magazine. The article is about hotlines in general and why people call, what's the value in these things. And well, Stoltz, I mean, man, he broke the whole business down for the article, which was really kind of amazing to read about. Here's how he broke the cost down from the article, at least. Ten cents of every dollar the company changes goes to the operators. $0.25 cents goes to the phone company, because it's a 1-900 number. $0.30 cents to advertising. And $0.30 cents lost when a customer refuses to pay. So none of these add up to 100 I don't know where all the rest of the money goes. <laughs> if you take the last 30 out, that means like $0.45 cents of every dollar goes to, to like, I guess the company? Like, <laughs> so... I don't know. It's like even if you added all these things up, you still have five cents left over. Maybe they were responsible
5: and they started a fund in case they had to pay debt collectors if it didn't all work out.
2: Exactly. I'm sure they started a a, uh, young psychic hotline scholarship fund (laughs) as well (laughs) for the kids. It's about the kids. That's where we started
5: our pilot program in Jamaica. And that's where we actually found Miss Cleo. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Okay, so the psychics that actually worked for them, though, had to sign a document saying that that they're not providing the psychic with any prepared text, script, or statements to be used, which is obviously a complete lie. Uh, they also absolved uh, the Psychic Readers Network from any information the psychic gave. So if the psychic gave bad information, you couldn't get angry at the Psychic Readers Network. Okay, fantastic. Great job, everybody. It's the future. Why would you be mad about telling someone the future? Hmm? But when they called, obviously, they were asked their first name and this is what they were told to do they would say make sure you ask for their first name their last name birthday address and then told to write down any questions they may have so they were they told the caller to do this now they're still in the free reading time when they're doing it at this point and the reason for this according to Stoltz is that and this is a quote from Peter Stoltz to be accurate you need to do a little work tuning in <laughs> so I just don't understand how people could be so comfortable lying so clearly like tuning in. So I guess you're on the phone and somehow the the spirit world needs to needs time to dial up like AOL. Is that that the is that the dial up connection takes a little while to get online?
5: It's great because it reframes like stalling as like something that's woke. It's like you need to really tune in and listen to the subject
2: let's take a moment just to create some space i'm gonna create a nice nice space for us here right now i I do the same thing if you know uh uh
5: when when i used to have sex you know uh i'd be like i'm not coming quick i'm just taking some time to actually tune in now she'd be like you're stalling and i'm like no this is actually me tuning in Uh, but but all this counts on the (laughs) the clock by the way if you tell any of your
4: friends (laughs)
2: Uh, You know, he even goes as far as comparing a psychic who does a quick reading to a doctor who tries to diagnose a medical problem from across the room. Um, I'm pretty sure that doctor could tell my future from across the room a hell of a lot better than your psychics could. Part of the guidelines that are written for the psychic say, uh, Do not ask for their specific questions or for the reason they called until after you give them a complete general reading fuck these people this is a and then another it goes on this is necessary for accuracy and to tune into their aura and energy give positive and complete readings with lots of interesting detailed information i mean this is you know and and stoltz kind of responds when they ask him about this stuff and he, he says let's face it it could be wrong we don't want to tell them they're going to die or they should get a divorce. It's not our place to give people that kind of dire advice when there's always a margin of error. So it's almost like he's almost a thoughtful fraudster where he's like, listen, you know, we know it's fake. These guys think it's fake, but let's not be as fake as we possible. I don't know. What do you think?
5: I don't know. It almost seems like a kind of like... um I want to deceive you, but I don't want to be accountable for you making any rash decisions based on the advice that we give. Yes. It's like, hey,
2: you know, it's like, it's kind of like playing the line, right? Exactly. And the next part of this is beautiful, right? So what's a good business without some sort of upselling here? And about five to nine minutes in, by the way, and at like $4 a minute, we're talking like $20 to $50 in, right? About five to nine minutes in, they ask the caller, if they've signed up for the Philip Michael Thomas network psychic membership wait Philip Michael Thomas is that dude do, do what does this do you know who Philip Michael Thomas is are we talking about the same dude
5: uh yeah i know who Philip Michael Thomas is wait he's in this hit it
7: oh get it get it
2: This is the banger, baby. Get it. All right, drop it, drop it, drop it. Yo, the Miami Vice intro slays. That is, that could, you could put that on right now at a club. People would lose their shit.
5: If you put it on at a club, people would do cocaine that I could <laughs> exactly
2: so there are probably people out there like they didn't know who Miss Cleo was they probably don't know Miami Vice and so Miami Vice is this crazy uh, cop show back in the 80s and it starred Don Johnson as Detective James Crockett and Philip Michael Thomas as Detective Ricardo Tubbs now far too many moments from that show cause I was looking I was like oh we should show some clips of the show and talk about it but then I was like this is there's just too much so everyone should just go and watch Miami Vice. Just go and do it. YouTube it. Whatever you gotta do. But here's one fact about it: when the show ended, their finale episode had 22 million people watching in May of '89. So think about it. Right before the Rubino and Feder were planning to, like, I don't know, possibly set their house on fire, <laughs> Philip Michael Thomas was like rocketing to the peak of his career, and so. It, I want to kind of get into this because he became a spokesperson for the Psychic Readers Network before Miss Cleo. So I want to get a little insight into who this guy was, and I think the best way to do it is from an interview that he did actually on the Johnny Carson Show, and this is from 1986, the rise of Miami Vice, and, and the show is like an international success at this point.
5: Oh, and just for a note, everybody is wearing a white sport coat with a pastel mock
2: net under it. Exactly and sneakers with their suit, always sneakers. So let's get here's a little Johnny Carson. So you also said at one time you want to be a millionaire. I yeah. understand you've changed that now.
7: Uh yeah, I went to the fight um in uh, Vegas and uh I, I saw Larry Holmes and Spinks and it was a great fight and I got a chance to talk to um uh a uh, King Don King. Oh yeah, we And, had and job, Don, it's, it's all this energy, man. I mean, he's a serious energy guy. You know, he's like yeah. in touch with something in space yeah. over it. <laughs> Uh, he looks like he's got a Sears Die Hard in his pants. <laughs> and uh, and they are jumper cables to his hair. The whole oh, hair just got... Yeah, yeah. But anyway, we, we were discussing, you know, possibilities in life and about being a millionaire. You know, it's nice to be a millionaire, but, you know, I'd like to be a billionaire. A billionaire? Why not? That's a thousand million. Yeah, I know. That's heavy-duty that's heavy money. That's heavy-duty money. What would you, you do with a billion dollars?
0: Well, I, I'd help humanity.
7: You know, I, I like to build cities and stuff where people think about health and happiness and love and peace mm-hmm. and prosperity. Yeah. It's not that I individually need a, a billion dollars, yeah. you know. But it, it's like being involved with mastermind teams, working with NBC is incredible. I mean, that's Huge a billion dollar flag. industry that we're working and doing positive things for the world. I, I get fan letters from all over the world. Has this show change your life a lot? Tremendously. I, mean, I would imagine. Tremendously. Tremendously. I, 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 I feel yeah. very honored and uh, I have great respect for the position that I'm in.
2: So this guy had huge dreams, building cities, working with masterminds at NBC, doing positive things for the world. Can you imagine saying that today? Can you imagine any human being saying that today? He's like Alexander the Great with a bad, bad record. Exactly. <laughs> <Also, laughs> on it's like the charts. Every like, you know, not, I don't want to say that he's a villain because I think he's a nice guy actually from what I've read about it, but like every villain story starts with someone saying... I want to change the world and make it a better place.
5: (laughs) He's Ozymandias from Watchmen, but like the world's not smartest
2: man. Exactly. And he's, you know, but becoming a billionaire in the 80s, you know, I mean, he wants to do well in the world. I mean, a billion dollars to do good. You could start doing good without a billion dollars, you know. So, I mean, that there were some other things in that uh, interview with Johnny Carson That uh, spoke that that Hollywood frowned upon because he said that he wanted to win an uh, an EGOT, an Emmy, a uh, a Grammy, uh, Oscar, and a Tony, and people were like, he's so arrogant. But I think that's actually just like racist Hollywood kind of telling uh, this man of color that he's just not able to do something like that. So you know, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt in that sense. And I think what's unfortunate here is that you know, people probably didn't give him jobs. And that's what kind of happened after Miami Vice. He couldn't get much work. He got bit parts here and there on TV shows, guest starring roles and stuff like that. But nothing gets you close to a billion dollars when you're in the 90s and you're not making that money that you wanted to. I don't think that motivation comes out of you, especially when you were a huge international success. I think that stays inside of you. And you're still looking for that one thing that's going to like bring in that money, that's going to bring in that payday. And, of course, what happens is the Psychic Readers Network needs a spokesperson. And so they go to the one guy, I guess, I don't know who else they went to, but they go to Philip Michael Thomas. <laughs> and Steve Fetter offers him to be a spokesperson for 3.5% of the gross revenue of the company. So that's before all your expenses are even taken out, before all the little 30 cents if someone doesn't pay, 10 cents to the operators per dollar, all that shit. And so he signed on to do this spokesperson deal. And in early '94, this commercial airs.
7: From Miami Vice to World Advice. Hi, I'm Philip Michael Thomas. Together with the world's most powerful, and influential psychics, we've created the Philip Michael Thomas International
4: Psychic Network. We
0: you your new line, Philip. It really is great.
4: Oh, your psychics are definitely the best. By the way, thanks for the free psychic reading.
0: My psychic
1: guided me into a job involving children. It was a dream come true.
7: The response to the network has been incredible. It's exactly as you predicted.
2: This is just the beginning. I see you helping more and more people
7: every day. Call my network today. Ask about love, money, your destiny. Get a free reading. Free horoscopes every day.
2: And remember, this is just the beginning.
1: Call 1-800-662-7096.
2: So I think it's important to note, if you go and YouTube that commercial, he is doing a scene with, like, a fake psychic, and it, it is... Amazing. And they even do this like dramatic effect, like the ripple effect of like enchantment or whatever. And she's saying, It's just the beginning. I this shit is so fucking fake. How are people buying into this then? I also like
5: the foreshadowing of it's like, this is just the beginning. It's like, <laughs> nah, actually, Philip Michael Thomas, this is actually the end. This is this commercial is the end. <laughs>
2: So, but well wait, he he probably thought it was still the beginning when it started too because they gave him hundreds of thousands of dollars in the beginning, hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I don't know exactly how much he got in 94, but all the stuff that I've been reading said he got paid a ton of money. But by 95, his income goes down by $400,000, but PRN sales apparently went up by 1.6 million. All right, so let's just say for instance that the amount that it went down, is 3.5% of the gross revenue of the company. Okay, so that's like a very small low. On the low end, that's got to be the low end, right? Because if it just went down, there's got to be something left over. And he was making more than that the first year. So let's just make that assumption. If we make $400,000, 3.5% of the gross revenue, do the math, that means in ninety-five P PRN, made at least $11.5 million on the extremely low end. And they were running this operation for years. Imagine paying people fractions of a dollar per per hour for doing a phone psychic, getting paid millions and millions and millions of dollars every year. And so his contract goes up in 97, and he's like, where's my fucking money? You guys are rolling in it. stop using my fucking commercial. And so obviously they kept using the commercial and then in 2000 he ends up suing and like all of these other fucking situations, Justin, they settle out of court. So we got nothing. We got fucking nothing again. Philip Michael Thomas got a
5: briefcase full of cash. Go ahead, (laughs) Philip Michael Thomas.
2: By 2000 he needed it though. Oh, God, By
5: 2000, yeah. I imagine his financial estate has deteriorated. Like, he, you know, in Carson, he's talking about being a billionaire. By the time 2000, he's like, if you give me $80 so I can keep this light bill
2: going. <laughs> and so if we go back to like Peter Stoll's interview, they were making so much money that they actually had to build in caps for their calls that you could go a maximum of 30 to 38 minutes, he says, before being cut off. And you'll hear a warning beep. About two minutes before that. So they designed this system to make sure that there's a a tolerance level that people are at least embarrassed enough to still pay before they will just not pay them at all.
5: Absolutely. Maximization of profit. It's like you don't want them to run up a debt so big that they don't pay. And you also get to a point to where the profit margins, it becomes diminishing returns at a point. So you, you get so they, they, they sat down and saw what's the peak amount of money we can make off each person. Exactly.
2: All these like very sophisticated kind of business moves they were doing, they just did it all built on fraud. And one of the other moves they did was actually in New York City itself. And that that business model w- was everywhere, right? Working from home, getting people to uh, uh, become a psychic, uh, you know, charging a bunch of money, paying your operators next to nothing. But in the late '90s, America's mayor, Mayor Giuliani, everyone's favorite, started a program called Business Link. Now, this was a welfare to work program, and if you're a company, you would get $8,600 in tax breaks. Per employee. So the PRN was a work from home operation. This is easy. Uh, You know, Mayor Giuliani looks good. People are getting to work. 160 companies joined this business link program. They wanted people off welfare to say, hey, our welfare program actually works. But think about that. You've got someone on welfare that needs work. And instead of a job that I don't know has a fucking future, let's get them into the hotline business. Why would, why would they do that? I mean, it's like the insidious nature of just that program itself didn't even make any sense to me. And the job requirements? A high school education and a caring and compassionate personality. <laughs> <laughs> Business Link said they were paying their employees or the people that were in the program $10 per hour. We know that's full of shit. And for nine months, Justin... The New York City government promoted this business. It wasn't until the New York Times actually wrote up an expose that they were kicked out. Now, I don't want to make too big of a deal about it. 15 people are the only people that got jobs through it, but the city admitted they didn't or ever investigate any of the businesses participating in the Business Link program. They didn't go through the Better Business Bureau, they didn't go through the Labor Department, they didn't go through the bankruptcy courts, they didn't go through the IRS. So even another basically fraudulent government program partnered up with more fraudulent businesses to create like a, a fraud fucking megazore <laughs>
5: with this shit. I like it. It's like the, these guys after all they've done they go, "Hey, we haven't managed to fuck over the taxpayers yet. So <laughs> let's uh let's, let's make sure we
2: add that to the cocktail." And they're all over the country. Now when they got sued by the FTC and all these stuff started blowing up, one of the things we've talked about, Justin, is like, why wasn't there a criminal charge? Why This is so clearly uh, like a, a crime, of fraud. But there actually was one state that, that brought criminal charges and, and got kind of far with it. They investigated for almost a year, and it was in Missouri. And Steve Fetter and Peter Storch were brought up on eight felony counts of fraud. And first they pled not guilty. Then they pled no contest, which basically means... I'm not going to say I'm guilty. I'm not going to say I'm not guilty, but I ain't going to argue with you. <laughs> so what happened? Maybe a month in jail, maybe, right? Maybe uh, maybe you're not allowed to do any of these businesses anymore. Maybe just like a, a couple weeks in jail for running a, a billion-dollar scam. Now, again, out of the corporate accounts, they paid $50,000. Only $6,000 of it went to... to uh, repay the victims in Missouri. And they had had over 300 complaints. And Stoltz probably got the worst of it. He got two years probation. That's it. It's good to be a criminal, man. Oh, my God. So, I don't know. I mean, we're wrapping this up now, finally. I never want to talk about these guys again. But let's go back. How did they get to that lifestyles of the rich and fraudulent? Well, Freder and Troscale's second home was the one in Harbor Beach that we were just talking about earlier, but that was after they bought and sold the seventy fifth floor combined unit in the Time Warner Center for twenty four, over twenty four million, but sold it for fifteen million in two thousand eight. Now this is a four bed, four and a half bath, three thousand square feet. That's over they paid five thousand dollars per square feet. Five. It's so absurd. Can you imagine the seventy fifth floor of the Time Warner Center, it, two guys that just defrauded millions of people into like the like at the top of the of uh, Columbus Circle. It doesn't get wealthier than that. There's not more uh, like like storied real estate
5: in the city, really. Meanwhile, they gave two hundred dollars to somebody in Missouri for <laughs> four thousand
2: dollars worth of charges they racked up on their landline. Okay, so the Florida place that we were talking about earlier, they still have, and they put it on the market for like nineteen million. They had another place in Fort Lauderdale that they sold for eight and a half million. You've got to be kidding me! Again, the people there only got six thousand dollars in Missouri. Peter Stoltz, you can find him on LinkedIn if you're looking for him. Uh, the research says he lives in a modest place in Florida, like a, like a $250,000 home, really very reasonable. And it seems like he honestly got the short end of the stick. Like maybe he's a good saver, but he didn't stop scamming. If you go to his LinkedIn, in his like, you know, where people put like, I'm a, this is my job, you'll find a link to a site called SugarDaddyforme.com. And yes, it's still operational. I actually called and talked to a sales rep and you could still log on, get an account and look for sugar daddies, all kinds of sugar daddies. If you're like one, a sugar mama, a sugar, big daddy, a sugar, little dad, all, so, D- <laughs> <laughs> all kinds of daddies for sugar.
5: So daddies for sugar, all kinds of daddies for sugar.
2: What is wrong with oh, this God. world? It is just you know. Again, you they one of the things about the FTC complaint they said you can't do any sort of hotline anymore. You can't do the hotline business. Well, the internet was big then, and now he's still in the fucking sugar daddy for me business. So I I don't know. I'm exhausted. This has been a lot of fucking talking about these assholes, and you know I couldn't believe how absurd this whole scam was at first. You know, Miss Cleo, we thought she was the bad person, but then we realized. She's like the tip of the fucking iceberg. You know, meanwhile, these three guys pillaged communities, took advantage of the vulnerable with just insidious advertising and marketing. And, you know, there's probably more episodes we could have done on this. We're not journalists. You know, we hope you guys see the moves and we hope you're more skeptical. And and that kind of like. I guess, wraps it up. Justin, what did you think? This was our first little series on, on fraudsters here. It's great,
5: man. It's, you know, it's the Russian doll, man. The further we went in, we just kept going in and kept getting more layers. And, like, we're, we're quitting here, but we could have probably pursued this further. Somebody probably fathered their frauds. You know what I mean? They probably learned from somebody. And the deeper you go, you always end up in a pedophile ring.
2: All right, everybody, that's going to be the show. <laughs> I'm Pedophile
5: ring in a pizza parlor in a Robino's <laughs> pizza.
2: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes <laughs> print it uh, that, that's the show i've seen a Cena seen it now on all social media uh justin williams you can find him on facebook only you could also write him an email
5: yeah justinwilliamscomedy.com if you send me an email i'll come to your house
2: <laughs> and feel free to send us an email at fraudsterslpn at gmail.com Thank you so much for listening. It has been an amazing ride so far. We can't wait to keep it going for you all. Miss Cleo, the Psychic Readers Network, we all figured it out. They were all unsavory people, some a bit more unsavory than others. So, special thanks to Hazel Bryan, our amazing producer, Marie Anderson, our editor, Emily Fusco, our awesome researcher. And listen, folks, next week we're going to get into someone that was not a fraud in the 90s, but was born in the 90s. So maybe you may not know him now, but you will know the name Jacob Wall after our next two episodes. And I am so excited to bring you them. We've got a ton of stuff for you. It's going to have more bits, more conversations, more feelings of being uncomfortable. This has been a production of Zero Cool Media and Last Podcast Network. We'll see you next time.
0: Call me now for your free reading.